This is Leisha Holmes and I'm your host on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast brought to you by Hoxo Media and I am absolutely thrilled and honoured to be joined once again on our podcast by a very familiar face right across the globe. This is Greg Savage and he has, for those joining us on YouTube, joined us with the most beautiful view, I believe from your walk this morning in Sydney. How are you today, Greg, or this evening, I should say? Yes, it's evening now. It's very, very, very nice to be here. And yeah, we're in lockdown in Sydney. After a year of no lockdowns, we were getting a little complacent and a little cocky maybe. And suddenly we've been hit with this Delta strain. And so we're in lockdown. But we are allowed to go for a walk. I don't live too far from Sydney Harbour. So that picture I took this morning. And as you can see, it's midwinter, but it was a bright, sunny day. And all everywhere I worked, walked were portly gentlemen running in English football t-shirts, which was oh, not attractive. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. I was mumbling under my breath that wasn't a penalty, you know, but it didn't seem to work. <laughs> Absolutely. We're not going to be controversial about the England-Denmark game, guys. That's definitely for sure. But thank no, you. No, it's, it's a good win and well done. And uh, yeah, onwards and upwards England next week, uh, whenever it is soon, I imagine. Next few days. Sunday, absolutely. And when we share, we'll be sharing this after the event. We'll be sharing this the week after the event. So hopefully, as you're listening to this, England are indeed the champions of Europe. That's what we want, isn't it? We're all going to be cheering yes, them. Indeed. On. Come on, Gareth. Well, I hope, so. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. What a leader! A long wait, but it'll be it'll be worthwhile. It'll be good. Certainly do that. Well, look, we wanted to get you back on the channel today because we truly have a global audience now. And your podcast that you did for us in 2020, which for us was right in the middle of our lockdown, was phenomenally successful. We had such brilliant feedback. And, you know, you are definitely somebody that we all aspire to listen to and, and learn from. And there's a number of things that we're going to talk about today. So I think what's been a stark difference in when we recorded last year with you is that we have firmly become a very talent short market. So I just want to hear from you, the ex on this so what would you say to our listeners are the do's and don'ts of winning and retaining the best clients now we're in a job rich market because I'm very aware that you might be listening to this for the first time ever maybe even thinking about turning business away so what would you say are the do's and don'ts for the best clients of retaining and winning them well it's a fascinating question actually and um, it's going to require I think Leisha, a complete mindset uh, shift from recruiters on the talent and candidate side, of course, but on the client side. And actually, in, in all the many years that I've been in this business, lots of recessions, I don't think I've ever seen a time where there's a better chance to change the relationship we have with clients. Mm. And I really, um, maybe I'm too old to, to, to be on a bandwagon, but I always find myself getting excited about something. And it would be wonderful if recruiters took this opportunity because we have the chance to change that transactional, master-servant, resume racing, keyword spamming dynamic, uh, we have a chance to change it. So I would actually encourage, I think the starting point, and I am going to give you some tech, but the starting point is mindset and to change in our minds the definition of what is a client. We, we have bowed at the altar of clients for so long that anyone who wanted to give us a job, we chased after. Like a, like a little dog chasing a bone on the beach. Now, I'm not suggesting we don't treat clients, every client, with respect, but we don't have to work with clients. You don't have to work with certain companies. And, and we need to walk away in a talent-type market. Why would you work with companies who don't make it a fluid process to hire the best talent? Why would you hit yourself against a brick wall working with companies who haven't got with the program? And I'm talking about... Um, the fact that the big change that I think we can we can we can execute in this environment is we can become more consultative. And it's not going to suit all recruiters because a lot of recruiters don't have the skills, right? They are transactional. They they, they compete on speed and price, by the way, it's a slippery slope for recruiting hell, but people do. And I think if we can get more consultative and we can look, I encourage I encourage you when you assess a client, look for a client in pain. It sounds somewhat sadistic. I don't mean physical pain, but a client in pain. Where, where they have a, a need and, and they're committed to hiring. That's the first thing. Don't work with tire-kicking clients, no. you know, who are comparing candidates to their own inside candidates, blah, 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 all, all that stuff. And then work with clients who do take your advice. 
Yeah. Now, this is a twin-edged sword, right? You want, to, you want clients to take your advice. You're going to have to have some <laughs> and some good advice. But we've got good advice, you know, because the candidate, we're going to talk about candidates shortly, I'm sure. The candidate market's changing, and clients aren't altogether across that. So work with clients who will pay your fees, and you should put your margins up. I'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. Work with uh, clients who take your advice, clients who respond in a timely manner, clients who um, have got a... a it's not attractive, but at least a workable work from home policy because candidates can pick and choose in terms of flexibility. And I'll say later, that's one of the number one things on candidates' hit list, so to speak. And, and, and so work with those who will respond. And, and, and you can never shut the door on anyone. That's probably a good truism of, of life. Or maybe there are a few people who can shut the door on in life. But don't have to shut the door on too many clients. Keep the door open. But be prepared to say to clients, look, Mr. Client, if, if we can't, uh, for example, if a client said, right, we want the best candidates, but they've all got to work from the off five days a week. We've got clients in Australia saying that, notwithstanding that. You know, and, and our guys are trying to say, when I say our guys, all the people I work with, we're trying to say, to client, that, that is actually contradictions. You will not get the best candidates if you have that stipulation because they have choice. They have choice. And if clients don't take your advice, then, mm-hmm. then uh, sorry, then, then don't work with them. Is, is, uh, is my uh, serious consideration. Keep the door open. They'll come round. Some will come round. Mm-hmm. And some, in hindsight, will see that your advice was good. It will increase your credibility. Yeah. So other specific tips on your question about how to work. Take great job. You know, a lot of recruiters. I, I was in London once, right? I've been there many, many times, uh, always to talk about recruitment, but you'll notice it coincides very closely with the rugby fixtures <laughs> and the fixtures of West Ham, West Ham United Football Club. Um, but but I was talking to a group of 80 recruiters in North London, in Islington, actually. I remember it well. And I said to them, I can't remember how I got here, but I said to them, so a client sends you an email and attached to it is a two-lined sort of summary of a job. What? Uh, and the client says, help me fill this job. What's the first thing you'll do? And they looked at me as though I'd come from Mark. I'm from Australia, close enough, maybe. And, and, and they were like, what do you mean? I said, what would you do? And they said, we'd look for candidates. I said, well, you wouldn't do anything else between getting the... And they were like, no, it's speed. It's, and, and I think there are recruiters with varying degrees of that view of the world. And taking a qualified job order is now pivotal. Yes. Um, because candidates have choice. And so you have to know exactly what the job can give and offer so that you can sell it to the candidate and so that ultimately they'll accept the job. Because we don't get paid for people getting offers, you know, 99% of that. We get paid for people accepting jobs and staying there. So you've got to take a great job specification, qualify it, and that means advising the client on things like salary, flexibility, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and we need to actually be a coach to our client. Yeah. It sounds so alien to people about how they're going to get talent on board. And in your question that you sent me, which you didn't say out loud, you said, how can we avoid pissing our clients off? Well, my advice is once you've done it, once you've done everything that I've suggested, and if the client still won't come to the party, we'll allow them to be pissed off and let them be both pissed off and with no staff. Um, You know, that's the thing that we say that. I don't think you say that to your client, but that's how it will be. So I think those are some things. Does that resonate with you over there? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, there's the old adage, isn't there, that, you know, making assumptions makes an ass out of you and me. And I think that when you've got a long-standing relationship, say, oh, you know, send us another one of those. Well, hang on a second, just stop and really understand what it is that, that you're going to be requiring this person to do. And I think because, it, you know, I've always been in a talent short market as, as a rec to rec, you've got to understand why that person would want to come and work in that job. And, and if you don't understand that in qualifying, that qualification process, I think is so important. You know, you need to go right back to understanding basics. And yeah, you know, of course I was going to say to you, you know, what, what can we do to ensure we're not pissing clients off? But actually we want to make sure we're not getting pissed off in the process by rubbish processes. So a good recruiter will have the sort of knowledge to know how to challenge a client in their process, how to challenge them on if a salary isn't, you know, market rate or the commission or whatever it might be to entice good people. But also, you know, knowing when a client is is attractive in the market and, and being able to benchmark that. So I think all of those things that you've said are yeah. really really relevant you know and i'm saying that as someone that has been in a talent shop market for 20 years you know rec to rec is always going to be talent short so yeah well i'm i'm quite sure 
that when you get a great recruiter through your doors and you've got clients who aren't paying enough, aren't flexible, have a bad culture, you're not even bothering. And I know you wouldn't want to say that out loud, but you're not because you know there's three or four other clients where the candidate will accept. Yeah. And, you know, it's not uh, – you use the word challenging, and you're quite right. Mm. But the approach is consultative. It's questioning. It's probing. It's leading the client. I don't want to sound condescending, but it's leading the client to almost allowing them to realize that their salaries are too low or that their process is, is too slow. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't want to piss anyone off and we won't, we won't set out to do that and we won't use language that would do that. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we need to work with clients that our candidates will accept jobs at. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing and I'm going off topic a bit, but it's kind of on topic. Um, a lot of recruiters find it hard to sort of point to the value of our service and our fee. Mm. And, and the way I look at it, I don't think we'll ever do this, although executive search firms kind of do this. Yeah. If you think about the value of our fee, I think it's broken into three parts. I think it's number one, it's the actual job taking component. If you take a job well and qualify the order, that is of incredible value to the client because through your advice and your consulting, you will shape that job description to make it more fillable to the client because she or he is not in the market 365 days of the year. Yeah. Um, they've been reading and hearing things and they're out of touch. And we can help them change the qualifications and the experience required, the salary and the work from home and all those sorts of things. And really, if, if you thought about it, this will probably not happen, but you could almost say, well, I'm going to charge you. A lawyer does. When you go and see a lawyer, they charge you for the consultation, right? And that's yeah. the same thing. Then the second part of our fee, where our value is, is finding candidates, yep. right? And, and, and that, that involves all the things we do, the social media, the interviewing, the headhunting, the branding, the recommendations, our database, and, and, and uh, many, many, many things. But then the third part is managing the process, which we're going to talk about today. Yep. You know, actually, since I've been in recruitment, many things have changed. But one of them is it all used to be about finding candidates. Finding people is not so hard connecting with them and managing them and bringing them to the hiring table and getting them to accept the job. That's where the value is. So in a sense, you can send your client, we can send a client three fees, you know, for those three parts of the job. And while I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, it's important that recruiters see the value and yeah. understand what's important. Mm. And I, certainly I the job there. You've picked up on a really good point. I was actually going to refer back to this about the mindset thing. I think changing people's perception of what a recruitment person actually does in the same way a good lawyer will get you the best contract a good doctor will get, you know look after your body we have got to change our mindset as recruiters that we are not transactional beings we are here to truly partner and we are knowledgeable and we are therefore we should be rewarded and valued in a way that you would value a good lawyer or a good doctor or a good accountant you know we are not a transactional service so I'm so pleased you brought that up and I think you know while we're talking about mindset there are, there are significant changes to the candidate's mindset now because post-COVID, recruiters will need to understand the mindset of those talent short candidates. So what, what's changed from that point of view? Well, it's been huge, hasn't it? Uh, uh, so it's been absolutely massive, as particularly when we contrast it to where we were, I don't know, eight, 12 months ago. Yep. Um, and uh, in many ways, I, I, I rather facetiously call it the revenge of the candidates because... <laughs> They the boot is on their foot now, and uh, they're making a few people pay. I don't think I don't think all candidates in the world have got together and had a meeting and said let's make life tough for recruiters. But it it has in fact there's been a big change, and I think you know uh, candidates were cautious at first. I think we've been through that stage, and and now they're much more confident. And I think a couple of things they're very aware of the performance of their employer during COVID, and 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 it's gone it's gone sort of binary. Either they are more loyal to their current employer because of how they were treated yeah. or they are just fighting their time to leave regardless yeah. because of the behavior of the employers, yeah. a lack of empathy, um, financial things, etc. So I think um, whereas a year ago, or no, not a year ago, prior COVID, you know, candidates were looking for salary and maybe a sexy brand and those sorts of things, they're always important, but now, I think the two biggest things, uh, and we've done research and talked about a lot, uh, is stability and flexibility. Okay. So they want to work for a company, a company that's going to get through, blowing the back of their minds, COVID's not over. They know that some companies are still going to suffer, and they know some are going to rise to the top. So they want a stable organization, and they want, and they want 
flexibility. Mm. And, and, and so hesitancy is disappearing, they're spoiled for choice, and um, they're looking at things like how companies have adapted, how they've changed, are they paying lip service to things like work from home? Have they installed the technology? Do, yeah. do their employers, uh, sorry, do the management of those companies even know how to manage this new world of work? Yeah. People, uh, candidates are, are, are looking for that. We even had senior candidates saying, I want to see the financials of this company before I even go for an interview. Because yeah, they want to know. They want to know so much, so much more. Um, and, and of course, for, for recruiters, what it means is they've got to get much much more engaged and i think that's that's the big the big lesson which will go on into a future question is how how recruiters need to change the way they they deal with candidates a mm. um, couple of other things just before i wrap this up candidates are looking to be it, it's fine to say work from home but then if if it's work from home but i want you to check in every five minutes and i want the camera on to watch what you're doing no <laughs> candidates want to be treated with maturity absolutely i mean when i say candidates we all do right um, we're just calling them candidates in the context of this conversation, but people want to be treated with maturity, with yeah. trust. There is a much more focus on a values alignment. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just values around work. It's like, does a company have uh, a, a sincere commitment to diversity, right? So in this country, that's quite an important thing. I'm sure it is in yours too. Does yeah. it have uh, a good, good record on the environment? Whatever's important. These things are much more important. I mean, 20, 20, 30 years ago, people would go and work for a cigarette company even though they hated smoking. They will not do that now. That's a bad example. It's like an extreme example. But, but um, uh, I think, uh, I think that's, that's really important for people. And, and recruiters, the message is recruiters have got to be so much better at understanding the true motivation of a candidate's job search. Not the superficial, oh, yeah, I'm looking for career advancement. What does it mean? To you, it's something else to what it is to me. And anyway, it's probably not true. It's probably I want to work. I want to work from home twice so I can coach my son's football team at five o'clock. Yeah. That's probably the most important thing. But but a candidate's not going to volunteer that no. first off the bat because, and I want recruiters to to think about this. Everybody knows that that an interview is a performance, right? Mm. And and when we go for an interview, we put our best foot forward. It's quite legitimate to do that. And a candidate is going to say what they think is going to help them get an interview. Yeah. But a recruiter needs to dig in and find out what the real motivation is Absolutely. so that you can get them to accept the job. Mm. But actually, I mean, you said you talk about that, but that's as detailed as it is. If we go back to our first question about taking a detailed job spec. So recruiters, in terms of responding to this shift in mindset, your engagement with your candidates cannot therefore be transactional. You need to go on the granular. You need to build up that trust and that relationship. They're not going to offer that level of information. If you're just going through a tick sheet of, you know, what's your skills, what we got, what you're looking to do, what's your salary, where will you work? You've got to understand that person and understand what makes them tick and finding out that sort of thing that actually it's because they want to go and coach their son's football team is going to be the clincher of why they'll take that job. 100%. 100%. And, you know, this was always true, that we needed to try and understand candidates' motivation. But in a pre-COVID world, some of the assumptions that recruiters made were half true. So they made a few placements, but not anymore. You're going to get so many offers turned down. You're going to get candidates accepting multiple offers and turning up on the day that to one of them. Um, they're going to get stood at the last minute. And, 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 and I think what you said there is so important. This is kind of leading on to the next question, I think, but I'll say it now. Recruitment's got more remote because of COVID, right? And what I mean by that is 90% of the interviews taking place in the UK today won't take place until four o'clock because everyone's hung over. But 90% of the interviews taking place will, will be done on Zoom or, you know, Teams like this. Mm -hmm. uh, here's what's happened. An interview that used to take an hour when we used to meet face-to-face during COVID went on Zoom and then it took 40 minutes and then it took 30 minutes. Now it's taking 20 minutes. These interviews have got more superficial, right? They've got more shallow. And then recruiters are amazed when somebody ghosts them or stands them up because there's no relationship. There's no commitment. There's no looking you in the eye. Mm. So whether it's Zoom, and I don't know what the future is going to hold, but whether it's on digital or not, as recruitment gets more remote, the recruiter's job is to get more engaged. Yes. So that's one of the smartest things you're going to hear me say. It's a low bar to jump. I'll give you that. But recruiters have got to get more engaged mm. and we've got to do better zoom interviews and and certainly in australia where we were out of this quite quite solidly for a long period and we could do interviews a lot of recruiters were not going to see their client and they could 
and they were not seeing their candidates face to face when they could because they enjoyed being in their pajamas uh, at home doing doing the interviews. Um, forget that. Where you can connect, you must because you need to build that relationship, build that rapport, build that credibility, so that you can understand the candidate's motivation, so that you can make a match, so that you can get an acceptance. Yeah. And and if you don't do that, you're going to have a lot of offers turned down and a lot of tears. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And you're absolutely right. It does lead on very nicely to the next question because ultimately, if you're listening to this, the chances are you are in a talent short market and, you know, candidates know this. And so they're going to behave accordingly. So what would you say the key actions need to be then for us to ensure that we're engaging with, because engage is a massive word, and then we're placing the best passive candidates? Okay. So um, I'll answer that question, but I just intro it with a few general mistakes that I think recruiters are making in the face of this changing dynamic. Sure. And it's not like I want, I want to be critical because it's hard and it's confusing and it's, 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 it's very fluid. But, but recruiters, are, are many, have lost control of the process because they've become more remote. Mm-hmm. So they're not really understanding where the candidates are up to. They're not building rapport. They don't understand the true motivation and they're slipping into making assumptions all the time. And I would say this, that if you, if you spoke to a candidate at five o'clock on a Monday and, she, and you said to her, will you accept this job tomorrow at 6,000? And she says, yes, I will. Don't assume that nine o'clock the next morning, the answer is the same thing. Don't assume that. How can you dare assume that? Because so much has happened. Three other agencies has called her. Her dad has said, no, this is not a good idea. Her boyfriend said, let's go and live in Australia. I don't know. You know the reasons. Um, there's just so many of them. But, so don't make, make assumptions. And believe it or not, you will, you will control the candidate better if you've controlled the client better. So if you can get exclusive jobs, retained jobs, and jobs where you've taken great job orders, you can sell those jobs. When I say sell, I use it in the most positive sense of that word. You can present those and position those jobs honestly and thoroughly to candidates yes. and match it with their, exclu- with their uh, sorry, their expectations. Um, and the other thing is too little contact. Um, and I'll talk about this. In fact, let me go on and talk about uh, this. In, well, I'll talk about it in a minute. We've got to completely up the amount of contact. That we, let me talk about candidates in play, right? Now, a candidate in play is somebody that you're working with to place, right? You've got lots of candidates on your database and you'll go to them and they'll come into play and then they'll, then they'll get a job or they'll tell you they're not looking and then they're out of play. But if they're in play, you're getting them interviews, you're talking about jobs, you should be talking to them far more than you've ever spoken to candidates in the past. And I will say this, if a candidate calls you for an update on where their job search is, you failed. You've lost control. You, they should never call you with an update. I'm talking about your candidates in play, ones you've got out on interview or ones that you've screened and you've sent back shortlisted. They have got, if, if you allow that to happen, somebody else, another recruiter or another employer, will put their arms around them yep. and suck them into their, their world and your, your history. So you've got to be constantly in touch with people. I'll give you some tips on that in a moment. And the other thing, the other mistake, if you like, is we're not countering the counter offer early enough. Okay. I'll talk about that for just a moment. Yeah. You're going to get counter offers if you're not getting them now. You're going to get more. As, as companies realize if they lose this talent, I can't replace them. They're going to offer them money to stay. Yeah. And if, I'm sure it's happening already. And if you try and convince somebody who's got an offer to stay in that moment that it's a bad idea, you've got about as much chance as I have of playing for the Wallabies on the weekend. None. It, you've got to counter the counter offer in the very first meeting. Yes, you do. You've got to take, and it's the psychology. A lot of recruiters, me included, have to fight all the time, go into lecture mode. And, and what you need to do is to go in question mode. So at the end, towards the end of the interview, so, so oh, Lucia, if I found you the right job and you accepted it, what's going to happen the day you resign? Yes, absolutely. And then you shut, you shut up. Yes. And, and you, watch, you watch their eyes roll back in their heads and they go, oh, or maybe they say, oh, that'll be a good day because I hate my boss. And then you know you're on safe ground. But normally that's like, oh, that'll be difficult. You know, I really love working there. My boss has done a lot for me. And then you'll, you'll slowly, slowly, you'll say, yes, I'm sure you've got a great background. What might they do? Well, they might, pers- might persuade me, try and persuade me to stay, Greg. For sure they will. What do you think they might do? Don't lump in and say, what if, don't jump in, Robert, and say, what if they give you more money? Just take them on the journey. And then they will say, well, they might offer me more money. And then you will say, what would you do then? Yes. And, 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 and they might say, well, it depends how much. And then, you know, you've got to 
So you work through it, and what you're doing is you're taking them to the resignation. Yes. You're letting them see their counteroffer, and yeah. then you're letting them turn down the counteroffer before yeah. they've even got it. Yeah. And then you do that throughout the process. These are the skills. I call them the moments of truth in recruitment. Yeah. Where, you know, and th this is why your job and mine are pretty safe, because automation cannot do what I'm talking uh -huh. about. Only smart human beings can do it. It's and uh, it's controlling the process. So um, that's, that's one tactic. The, the, the other tactic is in the interview process, I come up with a little acronym or a few letters. I, a good recruiter needs to get to know their candidates so well and their motivation so well that they know their MTA and their MTA is their motivation to accept an offer. Okay. Because you will have candidates at the flirting stage all they're doing is sort of putting their toe in the water. Then, then, then you'll have candidates who are actually committed to move, but ultimately you need candidates who have made up their mind to move. Yes. You have to work out where they are on that spectrum. Actually, I wrote a blog just two weeks ago, if anyone's interested, can't even remember the categories I came up with, but, but it's, it's quite a good little article because it helps you understand how close you have to get to your candidate's motivation. Just because a candidate says, I'm looking for another job, if you said to a recruiter, hey, I'm looking for another job, and I said to the recruiter, hey, I'm looking for another job, there is no way to assume we're at the same level of motivation. No. You could be just dipping your toe in the water to have a little peek. Mm -hmm. I could be so, I could have lost my job and be 100% committed for a job. Recruiters often don't know that. No. So digging into that, and then the other thing is, is just understanding that you've got to be, I mean, a client said it to me the other day. He said, so interesting. He said, Greg, we have a rule now. Yeah. He didn't use that word. He said, we have a, um, a tactic now where at the end of the day, every recruiter in my company calls every candidate in play and gives them an update every night. Mm -hmm. don't, don't tell me you spoke to them yesterday. We speak to them today. Call them. Hey, hey Mary, um, I know you had your first interview and your second interview is on Monday. Uh, still, still excited about that? Yeah. What, you know, why is this job exciting to you? They said all this, but go over it. Anything else happened? Anything changed since we last spoke? Uh, oh, yes, actually, I've got three interviews or whatever. So constant quality, courteous candidate feedback is the mantra. Your, your post has gone viral, hasn't it? The one that you sh the, the, sharing no yeah. news with a candidate is news. And didn't you have to make yeah, that's, a million views or something? That, it's so that's true. something crazy. There's no excuse anymore. We all have these. And there's one thing I, I want to pick up on one point. How often do you actually ask a yeah. candidate, how do they feel? Because actually understanding how people feel about how, how do you feel if that counteroffer happens? How do you feel if we're at that stage and you're having that conversation? Because you will notice if you are actually doing it face-to-face, -face, ideally, or, or on a Zoom, you will see yeah. they, will, they will look to the left and they will, they will think, how will I feel? Because that way you are taking it to a totally different intuitive level as opposed to just a exactly. victory, it's I'm doing it for these reasons. It's making it more emotive. It, oh, it's absolutely. And remember that a counter offer could be money, but it can also be um, emotional blackmail. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, the employers, how can you let me? How can you let me down when things are so tough? And it's money, or maybe it's a change of title, or maybe it's more flexibility. And and so you've got to take them there and let them come up with all of those. And as you quite rightly say, how they're going to feel. And sometimes a candidate will say, not often, not as often as it used to be, but a candidate might say, you know, I feel I don't want to be disloyal. And you need to remind them that loyalty, the loyalty they're showing to their client is admirable, but ultimately the loyalty is to their career. Oh. And, and, and that resonates with people. Yeah. Because you're not, if you've worked for a company for three years and given it 100% and now there's a better opportunity, you're not being disloyal. You are if you go and steal a computer and give them one day's notice. But if you do the right thing, um, you're not being disloyal if you're being loyal to career. And, yeah. and you've got to remind people of that long before they get the offer. That's the point. Long before. And they say it again when you send them out on first interview and you, and you pre-close them before you give them an offer. Remind, let them remind you of those reasons. You know, something, something about the counter-offer, we go back to that, is if you resign your job and your boss offers you more money, it's quite an ego stroke. So you have to diffuse that by talking them through that's going to happen. It's almost like if they don't get a counteroffer, you know, like what's wrong with you? Not quite. But, you know, you, you want to get them to turn it down before yeah. it even happens. I think yeah. it's, slow, it's slowing it down, isn't it? And I think it's asking questions where you might get a no and not being afraid to have those 
challenging questions at the early stages as you would again flipping it back to the client you know if you do it in a very detailed and thorough way you're building trust with your candidate and that candidate then is going to talk to you on a totally different level and open up to you and the fact is you know preparing them for that at the early stages everything that you've said you've literally walked and talked us through it it's better to know at the start how that's going to play out than waiting right the way through an interview process and wasting everyone's time. It's just everybody just needs to stop and think about how they're communicating to those candidates every single time and updating every single time because things do change, you know? Yeah, they do. And they're going to change more and more in a highly competitive talent market. And it's going to continue. Yeah, that's why this, this episode is going to be absolute gold and we'll keep sharing it. So given the partnership, we're, you know, going back to what we said earlier on, that we really have to change our mindsets. We are truly partners to our clients, identifying, engaging, and hopefully attracting and, and hiring the right talent for our clients. So what can recruiters do to actually ensure that our clients, so the hiring clients, are making sure they're getting those candidates in. So in terms of in impacting and influencing our client to make sure they get them in. We interrupt this episode of the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast to bring you a message from our wonderful sponsors over at Hoxo Media. Now, recruitment agencies invest heavily in LinkedIn licenses because ultimately it's where we're all at. Given that we spend an average one to two hours a day on our phones, the rest of the time is spent scrolling through LinkedIn, looking for unicorn candidates and target clients. Now, if we look at the recruitment training programs that are available, they tend to be focused around outbound phone sales and leadership skills. So how do you, our listener, maximize the huge investment of time and money that is spent on LinkedIn? Well, this is where Hoxo Media is solving this problem for hundreds of recruitment agencies, and we want to share this message with you. Their academy program allows recruiters across the globe being coached in how to optimize their LinkedIn profile, creating daily habits for building out that unbelievable audience, that target audience, where they're producing their own valuable content that engages the right people and ultimately drives content into inbound sales conversations. As I mentioned, they're working with hundreds of recruitment agencies, and there are over 300 recruiters every month enrolling on the academy, which enables them to increase their knowledge in how to basically develop the best content and maximize the results from LinkedIn. And to be honest with you, the testimonies have been absolutely incredible. So by enrolling in the academy with just one single payment, you can train your entire business for 12 months, which is why I'm so excited to share this message with you, our listener. So if you're a traditional recruiter like me, and you're an owner of a business, or you've got teams working for you who rely on outbound calls to attract clients and candidates, then really, you do need to listen to this message and get in touch. You might find that you are using LinkedIn, but perhaps just for sharing jobs on there. And you struggle generally for um, original content ideas and ultimately the confidence to actually know what is going to be good content for driving that inbound business. So I would love you to speak to Hoxo Media. Drop me a DM either on the link on this message on this episode or send me a WhatsApp and I can give you more information on how your agency can benefit from joining this program. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, so I'll start uh, maybe with a couple of more of general things and then get more specific. As I mentioned, taking better job orders, um, defining what quality business is. And this is a leadership issue as well. You've got to give people permission. You know, um, we've been brought up that every job, you know, let's have a go. Let's not have a go. Let's work on better quality. Let's get paid more often for the work we do. Let's move from filling one job out of five to filling four, three out of four. Yes. Uh, because we work with, you know, in fact, you know, instead of instead of taking twenty jobs and filling three, let's take eight and fill six. Yes. Making twice as much money and half as much stress. Yes. Um, I think the big word that's woven into this is co- the word commitment. Mm. And what I mean by that is, it's the recruiter's job to be credible enough to ask smart enough questions and take the client on a journey in the relationship and in the job taking process that the client gives the recruiter true commitment. And usually that's through exclusivity or a retainer and giving them time to do quality work. Because the flip side of all the stuff we're saying about, you know, if there was a recruiter sitting here listening to us, they'd go, it's easy for you guys. Um, I've got so many candidates, I can't get back to them all. Well, it would be actually, and it sounds like sacrilege, it would be better if we were working with clients and less candidates and making Yeah. 
um, if you get commitment, you know, it is such a, it's such an obvious thing, but our industry has grown so dysfunctional over the years that volume of orders was seen to be superior to quality of orders. Mm. And I would much rather work on eight exclusive orders, and I'd fill six or seven, mm. um, than work on 20 and fill four. Yeah. Um, and and, 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 and it's a dynamic cocktail because it's the clients, but it's also the recruiters not having, and, and today's not the day to talk about how to sell exclusivity, but the recruiters having the, the confidence to do that. But I would say recruiters have to hone their, uh, sorry, hone their advisory skills, yeah. And they need to triage their job orders. And what I mean by that is the word triage means um, to prioritize. And you, you, if you're a recruiter working on eight, nine, ten jobs, you, you mustn't put one-tenth of your time into those ten jobs. You've got to work out which of those jobs have clients in pain, which yeah. of the jobs the clients are being flexible, reasonable, responsive, paying a good salary, yeah. um, which of the jobs are attractive to the candidate market, yeah. and put your effort into the four or five. If you yeah. put your effort at a five, you'll fill four. Yes. If you put your effort at a ten, you'll fill two. Right. So um, you've got to think about I think about the 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 the, the, the triage. And so th those are some of the things. The other thing is just linked to that. What's a little bit different about post COVID is in taking a job order is you've got to dig into how the clients behave during COVID because if 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 they you know, we, we have a, I won't mention the name, but we have a very big travel company in this country who suffered like all the other travel companies, but they behaved poorly with their, with their um, mm. staff. Uh, they, they paid them the very minimum. They gave them no warning. Uh, it was ugly. And, and then while they're not back to where they were, it's improved a lot. We can do a lot more travel than we could in, in our region. And no one wants to work for them. You know, and there's choice. <laughs> yeah, there's choice. So um, you've got to dig in. You've got to dig into that. You also need to understand the client's values and their culture. I know we say those things before, but we never really dug into those things. Yeah. And candidates are going to want more. Yeah. Um, candidates want to know if they're going to be safe at work around uh, um, you know, the virus itself. Uh, how how much time they can work remote. How flexible it's going to be. How well that's managed. How yeah. it's managed. And so these are all things that you're going to need to build it. So, so again, I'll give you an example. If you're, if you're a recruiter who, who tomorrow starts talking to a candidate about a job and then the candidate says, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. It's great. I'm interested. But I need to work at home two days a week. And the, you, the recruiter, say, oh, okay, I'll go and find out. That's poor recruiting. There's no finding out. You, you should know. You should be ready. Yeah. yeah. On know. the front foot, sending it as a benefit. They've already got home we live place. In. Everybody's working from home on a Monday and a Friday, whatever it might be. You already need to know that sort of information. Now you, you need to know that, definitely. And the clients right. so need these to know that. Skills. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. That's great. So, no, you touched on something earlier on that in your country, and it's definitely the case over here as well, that diversity and inclusion is a huge part of, you know, I, I think a culture shift and, it, it you know, leaders... That are watching and listening this, to this will see this as a kind of you know what else do we need to do to prioritize because of course we're here to make money we're here to make profit of course we are but what else do you think leaders need to be thinking about to make them attractive to employees in a long-term basis apart from focusing on revenue well i will answer that but i'll couch it in in, in just what i think leaders should be focusing on overall uh, there is the very big risk Alicia, that mm -hmm. You know, we've been through a tough time and, you know, let's empathize. You know, I'm on the board of 14 recruitment companies. And let me tell you, a year ago, I was talking people off ledges, almost. I had grown men and women crying. It was absolutely fucking diabolical. And, um, you know, let's, let's empathize with how tough it was. And I've had to actually say to a few recruiters who said, oh, during COVID, this, and I said, you know, there were people who were in owning your company who, at the threat of losing their company and their house, you know, let's just have a bit of empathy for how hard it was for them. And you're complaining about the fact that they stopped giving you free coffee that month or whatever it was, just be a bit kinder. So there is, there is that, but the risk is that as the market improves, as it has, mm. that recruiters, owners of recruitment companies are going to be so delighted that the money's coming back in, that they'll go back and do everything the way they've done it before. Uh, that'll be a tragedy. Yeah. That'll be a tragedy and mistake and you'll get left behind. So it's now a time to slaughter sacred cows, to, to, to get rid of the stuff that wasn't good, uh, and, and to embrace 
And it's hard for people of, a, of a, some generations to just embrace that, that some of the things that we saw as soft are just the way the world is. And it's not necessarily soft. It's just a new dynamic. Yes. So we've got to look at um, a range of things. First of all, you, if, you, if you believe anything I've said so far today, a, a leader of a recruitment company has got to make sure that he or she equips their consultants with consultants with consultative recruitment skills. Yes. You can't toss a transactional recruiter into the dynamic you and I have spoken about and expect them to rise to the top. They don't have the armory. No. They don't have the, the tools. So we need a lot of training and a lot of work and, and give people the confidence to turn business down. And, and you know, if you're going to have KPIs and, 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 and other measurements, which, by the way, I think are good, mm. I think they're good if they measure the right activities. Absolutely. So So switch it up. So, so let's start measuring the stuff we're talking about, constant quality, outbound engagements, and all these sorts of things, because we know those are things going to drive. So that's a big shift for recruiters. It's not about how many jobs they got in. No. I mean, yeah, we want jobs, but what's the quality? And will candidates ever accept them? Mm. You know, your, your, your team could go and get 100,000 bloody recruitment consultant jobs tomorrow, but no. half of them wouldn't no. be fillable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, so there's that. Second thing is, uh, or third, I don't know where I'm up to, Let's focus on quality work. Let's, uh, I think a leader has got to set the example and start asking questions. Is this client cooperating? Are they going to pay our fee? If they're haggling us on fee in a candidate type market, do we even want that? No. You know, let's think about that. Um, smart thing to do is to, is now to think about technology, but, and I know you're going to ask me a question on that later. I, I would just say that the technology that uh, an owner should be looking at is, is the technology that automates the mundane, automates, automates the hack work, so yeah. that it can free the recruiters up to do this consulting work. Yeah. You know, it's fair for a recruiter to say, shit, how can I do all this stuff that you want me to do when I've got all this to do? Yeah. Let's take away the hack work that adds no value. Let's let machines do that. Excellent. The other thing an owner should focus on is building annuity revenue. Uh, by that, I mean, don't go back and just build a permanent-only business. You know that perm is an unfaithful lover. <laughs> that lover will leave you and leave you high and dry, as it did in Corona, and it will do it again, not for whatever the next reason is. So build annuity revenue and do it and do it now. And um, maybe hire different styles of recruiters because of that consultative thing. I think the other thing they should focus on to help their recruiters is fresh, dynamic marketing. It's time to market again, but it needs to be clever. It needs to be targeted. It needs to be mostly social and digital, of course. And it needs to be around content and a range of things. We can talk about that another day. But the point is, as an owner of a recruitment company, just because jobs are coming in the door, the, the, the formula is not cracked, right? We actually need, most of our marketing should be aimed at quality candidates, for example. Yes. Um, and, and then the final thing, I think it might be the final thing for the moment anyway, is, um, well, actually, I'll, talk, I'll, I'll answer your direct question a bit better in a moment. But the other thing is I want to see an improvement on financial management. I'd like to see temp margins going up. You know, the job market, like the fruit market, it's just so if there's a shortage of bananas, the price of bananas goes up. Absolutely. And maybe I shouldn't compare, I shouldn't be comparing candidates to bananas, but if there's a shortage of bananas, of candidates, then price goes up. We, 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 accept, we, we accept that in every, yeah, we, it happens to us every day. So, so to, to cut your margins yeah. or your fees in a mm -hmm. candidate short market is bizarre. It's so so walk away from clients who don't see that. Um, and then with working with recruiters, uh, I, think, I think recruiters want to work for employers who are empathetic, but empathetic and understanding that it's difficult. And, and a lot of my clients are having to get empathetic right now because they've got all their people at home and everything. But it's empathy with outcomes. We don't, we don't overshoot on the empathy side and forget that we're still in business. So um, it's empathy with outcomes. Uh, but I think what recruiters are looking for are good environments to work in and plenty of my clients, and I think we are ahead of you, not uh, when I say ahead, we've been out of Corona, notwithstanding we're back in it, but we've been out of it for a year. We've seen the work from home and, 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 and something of a switching of the tide where a lot of people want some time in the office. Yeah. They get their social dynamic there. They yeah. get their training there. They get their learning there. They get their heartbeat of the agency. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think you may have seen a blog I did with one of my clients. Actually, I'm an owner of the business as well. People to people who, who completely, 
spent 350 grand refurbishing their office to make it just much more attractive to be at. And that has worked. I yeah. go in there, there might be two, there's probably 30 people who work in that office. Most days there's 20 people there and there's a buzz, you know, and that's cool. But they don't have to be there every day. No, so there's that. but it's really important. There's, there's definitely been a shift I can Yeah. People want to be yeah. connected, don't they? They want to be connected for some of the week because then that's your culture, that's your community, that's how people learn, it's how people share. So I think it is that, you know, from as a rec to rec, that is the main reason why people come to me to look for jobs because they haven't got that. Well, that, you know, if you're a very, very experienced recruiter, something of a lone horse, yes, you can work at home and make a fortune. Yeah. But most recruiters are not like that. Yeah. And plus, how, how on God's green earth is a six-month experienced recruiter ever going to make it working from home? No. I tell you now, she or he has got no chance. Because no. we learn, I still say things I heard other people say 30 years ago. Of course, I've claimed them as my own now, Alicia. But um, I still say things that I learn, I, I remember situations, you see it in the, so we need a blend. And I think it's a leadership issue. I think it's a, it's a leadership issue around learning and development yes. um, and, and creating, we've always talked about culture, but mostly when, you know, let's be honest, most when people talk about a culture and a recruitment company, they talk about a drinking culture, a partying culture. And while when you're in your twenties and whatever, maybe in your 60s like me, you still have that culture. M many other people look for more than that in a culture. They look up, they're looking for an ethos. Yes. They're looking for a values alignment. They're looking for a style. They're looking for learning. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have, 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 have sat through COVID and reevaluated what's important to them. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I think values is a massive, massive thing. I just want to go back to a point because it, it has led on to another question around marketing. You talk about the social side and I think... You know, a lot of recruiters, you know, certainly newer, newer recruiters, it's just part and parcel. But, you know, people maybe more old school like me have had to adapt. And there's this blend, isn't there, between, you know, traditional skills, you know, speaking to clients, etc. And actually what we share through social media, LinkedIn particularly. So how do what would you say to recruiters who are listening to this to encourage them that they get the balance right and they don't spend all day scrolling on LinkedIn or listening to podcasts thinking I'm learning, I'm learning but actually doing everything they should be doing to enhance their, their brand as well as recruiting. Yeah. So if we're talking about, uh, I'm just talking about a desk recruiter, right? Not uh, an owner of a business, no. although it's the same for them or for me. Mm. I, I think it's no longer a nice to have. I think it is an essential component for someone to build an online brand. Yes. I think... Um, it's no longer it's no longer a luxury. I think old-fashioned cold calling and old-fashioned business development tactics like spamming stuff around are becoming increasingly less effective. Yes. Uh, and they don't show you in the light of the credible consultative recruiter that we want to be. So I think sometimes the concept of building a brand, first of all, some people think it sounds a bit wanky, and some other people feel it's just too hard. And 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 who am I to build a brand? You've got to understand that your online brand starts with your offline brand. Mm. And your offline brand is the way you treat people. And all an online brand is going to do is amplify that for good or bad. If you are a shit recruiter, listen to me carefully, Richard, because this is very important. You can tell people. If you are a shit recruiter and you treat people badly, going on social and putting out some false facade will hurt you because people will flame you, tackle you, and say that's bullshit. Yeah, it's true. But if you're a good recruiter, who does good things, helps people out, returns phone calls, does the things that we've been speaking about, going online, amplify your brand, and it will become a magnet. Yes. You know, become a magnet. Mm -hmm. So um, first thing I'd say is seven steps, maybe. Take it seriously. Mm -hmm. If you think you're going to just chuck up a couple of comments every month and, 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 and then count the likes and feel good, that's hopeless. But the analogy is like going to the gym. You can't go to the gym every day for a month and then say job done. Yeah. Nor can you go to the gym one day out of 14 and say, I'm going to the gym. Both yeah. are hopeless. Yeah. You, if you're going to get uh, results from exercise, it's three, four times a week forever. Yes. And that's the, that's, that's the metaphor for building an online brand. You're active. Second point is you've got to allocate the time. But I don't think you weave it in to everything else you do because it's a distraction. You know, most of you... For most recruiters, you're going to build your brand on LinkedIn. You might be in other forums, other platforms, depending on what your market is. But uh, and, and it just needs half an hour at the beginning of the day, responding, putting out some content, sharing, connecting, 
maybe another 20 minutes after lunch, 20 minutes uh, before you go home. So maybe it's an hour and you might say, I don't have an hour. Well, let's spend less time screening irrelevant candidates off job boards, making mindless cold calls where we speak only to voicemail yeah. and put the time into building a brand. Yeah. Um, third point is play a long game. Mm. It's a long, you're not going to get the return. It's not, I was actually saying this, you know, we had a, a, a industry conference here the other day and reluctantly I went along for a while and I, and I was on a panel and um, we we're talking about this very soon. And someone said, but Greg, you know, it's easy for you to say because you, you have a big brand. And I'm like, mate, I write a blog every week for 13 years. Yeah, exactly. And I, put, I, have put, I have put some every week for 13 years. And I have put stuff on LinkedIn three times a week for a decade. It's a Not to mention that all the other shit I do. So... I might have a brand that you now think is, but I didn't buy it. No. I didn't wake up one day and inherit it. I earned it. And Ill. it's no big deal. I've been around a long time and I put the effort into it, but it, I only put the effort into it like I do anything else in recruitment because yeah. I want to be good at recruitment. Sure. Right? That's the only reason. And if I wasn't a recruiter, I'd be off all those, I wasn't in this role anyway. I would be off those social channels straight away because it's not in itself something I'm, it's like interviewing, client visiting, Headhunting, it's a it's a skill. Skill. So you got to you got to play you got to play along, and then you got to define your audience. You don't have to be all things to all people. So you know, if you're placing quantity surveyors in the north of England, you find out where they live online. I mean, and and then you put out content that's relevant to quantity surveyors in the north of England. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if an accountant in London has never heard of you. It doesn't matter if an accountant in the north of England has never heard of you. You want quantity surveyors. Really good point. That's why. Love it. So, so if you look at what I write about, I write about stuff that's interesting to recruiters because that's my audience: owners and recruiters. Um, And then um, quality content is obviously the key, and and people struggle with that. You don't have to write War and Peace. You don't have to write a blog every week. But mostly, a recruiter, if they just put out insights Mm. about what they see in the market, it could be as simple as, "Hey." Some of my clients say they're desperate for staff, but they're taking so long in the process, they're losing the best people. That's an example of an insight. Yeah. That could be a very interesting little paragraph on LinkedIn. Um, and it just positions you as thoughtful, an expert. Yeah. And then the final piece of the puzzle is you put out the content, but you engage. So if somebody likes or talks to you, you talk back. Yeah. And that's how you build relationships Um and um, so those, I mean, there is a blog somewhere in my blogs on this very topic. Yes. Uh, take it seriously, allocate the time, mm. target your audience, quality content and engagement. That's the short version. Well, you're, you're the master and I'm really pleased you picked up that point. There's a, I don't know if you know who the body coach is, Joe Wicks. He, uh, he helped to transform me. He was a personal trainer from Surrey and he built the Lean In 15 on Instagram and he calls himself the overnight 10 year success story because he's now a multimillionaire, you know, he's transformed millions of people's lives, including my own, for getting fit. And people think it just happened overnight. He said it took 10 years, 10 years of every single day posting 15 second videos. So it's just, you know, be mindful of that. You can't build a brand overnight, but it's important to do all of those things and you can work it into your day. And it's as important as doing a target list of who you want to speak to. So thank you for that. We, we touched on That's the technology topic, topic earlier. So, you know, technology can transform what we do. It's not here to replace human interaction. It cannot replace our influence, our emotions and our intuition. But what can technology do to improve how we operate as as recruiters? Well, um, I'll I'll keep it sort of high level, A, because I'm not an expert in the minutiae of of technology, but I do spend a lot of time in in meetings talking about it. And I do get pitched in a, a technology solution every week. Uh, and mostly those very, very smart people have missed the target because they're not addressing a problem in recruitment. Mm. They're addressing something they think is a problem. And mostly it's just screening candidates, which is not the hard part of recruitment. You don't need help on that. It can, it can, it's going to be automated to a degree. So I think the big, the big picture is to, is to understand that, that anything that can be predicted can be automated. So um, I think we as an owner of a recruitment company, you should not fight it, you should go with it. Automate the part of the job mm-hmm. that frees your consultant up to do that part of the job that only human beings can do. Yeah. That's another smart thing. Um, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say smart, but a worthwhile thing thinking about. We, we actually want to free consultants up 
so that they can make those calls, yeah. ask those questions, um, take better job orders, get closer to counters, do one hour, I mean, time's not important, but do thorough interviews, yeah. understand the motivation. Mm -hmm. So you don't have them doing endless tech jobs that technology, hack work that technology can do because, because the differentiator in recruitment, agency recruitment, is influencing skills, handling those sophisticated moments of truth, which, which machines can't. Now, yeah. when they've got a machine that can counter a counter offer, then you and I will be out of a job. It's not coming anytime soon, though, because it's a nuanced, influencing conversation over a period of time. Yeah. So um, I know it's confusing for owners of recruit and for me, because there's so many new technologies and some look good and they don't deliver on their promise. But, but always ask yourself these questions. Um, is this going to take away hack work that, that extra time I get my recruiters? So I'll get, tell you a story. So, so one of people-to-people, uh, -people, a company um, that I founded along with other people and this big organization now, it's like got 120 staff or what have you. Um, they introduced a chatbot on their, on their um, uh, webpage. So if you, and you could choose, they made it very, very um, candidate friendly. You could choose to speak to a recruiter or you could talk to the chatbot. Here's the shock. Most people wanted to speak to the chatbot. It's interesting. At first. And you can ask the chatbot just simple questions. Is this job in Brisbane? Is it paying 60,000? Do I need a double degree? Whatever. And then the candidate could then self-select out or ask to go and talk to a recruiter. And the recruiter would know that the person already got through these five or six hurdles. It saves a lot of time. Yeah. Like the CEO said at a board meeting, they've got six officers or seven officers. We have saved, I can't remember the number, I'm going to make it up, 250 hours a week in consultant time. And everyone claps. And then there's Greg. I said, that's great. What have the consultants done with that extra 250 hours? And there was dead silence, right? And of course, then the conference, I said, that's the important thing. The yeah. technology there is to free up the recruiters. And then now let's, so now let's say to the consultants, you've got 250 hours extra and let's manage it to get more engaged with people. Absolutely. To, to return. So, so that's the first thing. Second thing is don't implement any technology, no matter how much money it saves you, and how, how much efficiency it gives you if it harms the candidate experience. No technology should be implemented unless the question is, has been asked. Does this make it better for candidates? Yeah. You try and phone an insurance company or a fucking airline, and, and they've got all the whiz-bang technology, but, but you're, you can't get what you want. Oh, it's, and, an, it's a terrible... And, and I end up hating those companies. Yeah. Sorry. Really important point, and I totally agree with everything you said there. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's my summary of, of the technology at a broad level. And, and um, for the people listening to this, for an owner, you've got to put your effort into understanding and investing in those technologies yeah. with those, uh, those riders. Okay. And for a recruiter, um, use the technology. A lot of recruiters don't use the technology. And it's not all their fault because sometimes people, you know, you know, so often like with technology and also online training stuff that uh, people buy. The owner says, here, guys, I've bought this. That should help you. And then, you know, never talks about and then, it again. Yeah, and, then, and then wonders a year later why we don't use it. It's got to be woven into the fabric of the type of company we are. And we've got to believe in it. Yeah. Um, so he's buying technology that's just there as a window dressing. So we need to use good stuff. Yeah, it's very important. Well, look, I've, I've arrived at my penultimate question. And, uh, you know, no one could have predicted COVID. Oh, wait, hang on. You did. In your book, The Savage Truth, I didn't. predicted a worldwide pandemic. So given, let's get a crystal ball out. What should we be mindful of coming forward yeah. in terms of future-proofing ourselves? What would you say your top sort of things are to be mindful of, Mr. Fu Mr. Fortune? Well, well, thank you for reading my book. Oh, it's um, an amazing book. If you haven't already read it, you have to read this yeah, book. Yeah. It's, I've been Actually, reading it for 23 years and I still learned from it. That's uh, good to hear. Um, I didn't predict COVID. I predict a recession. I did predict a recession, which wasn't that smart because we were due one. So I can't take any real credit for that. In terms of the, the future, the future, and predicting it, um, I, I think we're in. I think we're in for um, notwithstanding these uh, challenges around uh, flare-up COVID. I think we're in in recruitment in for for two or three very very good years. But if you if you step back from that. Um, Let's, I think the thing we've got to not do is get slow and ponderous 
in our ways like we did. You know, we had a boom from the what we call the GFC, which was that 2009 Lehman Brothers downturn. Mm -hmm. If you've been in recruitment 23 years, you will know how bad that was in the UK. It was disastrous. Um, I, I owned a business in the UK at that time, so as well as other places. So I know how, how our revenues like halved or more. Um, but after that, up until 2020, we had a 10-year golden run in this industry. Yeah. You know, it was a boom. And we got, we got complacent and, and we got sluggish. And, and, and we took shortcuts. And, and so my, my, I'm not going to predict what might happen, I, but I would, what I would say is this. You need to prepare yourself for change because it will come. Who would have predicted COVID? I didn't actually. I predicted a recession. I didn't know it would be like this. Yeah. And, and we don't know what's around the corner. So to be nimble, to have a mindset of constant learning, to be uh, adaptable uh, is critical. And, and, and we mustn't, even if we make nice profits for the next two or three years. And it was quite interesting, actually. One thing I will give myself some credit for is when I was writing that book and I said, we're going to have a recession, I was obviously dealing with that in real life. On my board meetings, I was saying these very words and it used to just silence the room and they'd look at me like, what is wrong with this guy? I said, if our permanent revenue dropped 50% and our temporary revenue dropped, uh, GP dropped 25%, would we survive? And they'd look at me and they'd go, well, why are you asking that question? So, because... And then I'd say, it's going to happen. How do you know? I said, because it's happened six times before in my career and we're due it. And then they'd, uh, they'd get irritated and they'd say, I'd say, let's, what would happen? Could we survive? Yeah. And then we'd, we'd do like a war game. And, we'd, and actually, all my clients had been through that in the year prior to COVID. And frankly, it helped them a lot. Definitely. Um, I didn't know it was going to be COVID. But, but we, had, we had contingency plans. So let's have contingency plans. Stay nimble, build annuity revenue. By that, I mean build a contract and temporary desk so that you don't rely on I love perm. Don't get me wrong. It's juicy, it's sexy, it's profitable, but it's unfaithful. Mm, yeah. It will leave you. Whereas your contract desk is much more stable. Yeah. And focus on quality in everything. The quality of your processes, the quality of your recruiters. I mean, look how many recruiters got fired when COVID came along and they're all with a either recent or the tractional ones. It's only the ones that had relationships and had quality relationships that survived. Correct. So let's get to that and let's work with quality employers and work with quality candidates. And um, it won't protect us against everything, but it'll make us much stronger and resilient and to the challenges. Love it. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant advice. So before we finish, you've got the Savage Recruitment Academy, which we're going to be sharing. Yeah with all of our audience. So do you want to tell us about that? Yes. So once you bought The Savage Truth, which is the, the best book in the history of recruitment that I've ever written, um, which is worth reading, I think, what I've done is it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, over the years, I'm not sure. I think you have. In fact, I know you have. You've been to some of the masterclasses yeah. I run around the place. I, like I remember you coming, yeah. coming to Man Manchester a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yes. And then drinking, drinking too much at the after party. Oh, no, that was somebody else. That was somebody um, else. So, yeah. So I have collected, uh, had put, we put together about 20 hours of the best training of that type that I've, that I've done in the last five years. And then we've added um, a lot of short videos and more up-to-date stuff. And I'm putting in updates every quarter. Stuff, you know, things like we've spoken about today. Mm -hmm. I think it, uh, it's aimed at recruiters. It's also for the billing manager. There's a very powerful session. And then there's one for owners and directors and, and several for consultants. Okay. I don't see it as a solution to any recruitment company's training needs. I don't think anything online is. But I think it's a wonderful platform of very direct commercial recruitment consulting advice. Um, and I think recruitment companies will benefit from it to put new people through, but also more experienced people. You can use it individually. You can also use it as a group, show a module, discuss, etc. It's It's a great resource to have, I believe, yeah. uh, but it's not the solution to all your training needs. It's just it's just a component to it. And what we've done is we're putting out a subscription and it's it's really quite modestly done. I don't remember, but it, you know, if, if you've got under 10 people, it might be, it, it might be, don't quote me. It'll be on the website. It might be three three hundred pounds a a quarter or something. So and, and you've got access to ten licenses. So it's that kind of cost. So I think it's going to be worthwhile 
particularly as as um, we're going to be so busy, I'm worried that training falls by the wayside in these environments. And, yeah. and then we're back into that pattern of hiring people. They fail. We hire more people. They fail. Yeah. We want to hire people and give them every chance to succeed. Definitely. And this, I mean, you're right. It was a masterclass in Manchester two years ago, 2019. And I actually came up to, to Chris. He chose me, put my hand up, and I did a little routine with him. So it was brilliant. I remember he, he, he's, he's still going to counselling sessions. <laughs> I'm sure he is. Listen, no, it's, he's fine. It, it's the academy, it sounds... And I'm really pleased that you've you've sort of made sure it's specific that, you know, if you're watching or listening to this and thinking, you know, you're an owner-managed business, you've got a you know small team, we're all quite reactive now to the market. This is a chance for you to elevate yourself, going back to what we talked about before, to make yourself attractive as a future employer to talent because you're investing in people's development. And this is, I love the format. I think the format is really useful. Um, and we'll make sure all the links are on the podcast as well. This has been an hour of absolute gold. Thank you so much, because I know how busy you are. And I really appreciate you sharing all of this amazing advice with everybody. And it's wonderful to see you again. You look great. And for anyone who didn't catch it, about 20 minutes in, Greg stood up and I think he possibly showed me his pyjamas. I'm not sure, but I didn't pick up on it at the time. So uh, I'm in my pyjamas. See, we're in lockdown, so and it's eight o'clock at night or something. No chance of me going out anywhere. So <laughs> I got my T-shirt. I, I ironed my T-shirt, and then I put my pajamas on because I'm going to go and watch uh, a rugby league game now, and then we're going to watch Ash Barty in the semi-finals of the Wimbledon because that's our Australian uh, Australian hope there. But look, it's a pleasure to chat to you. Um, I know I know a lot of people. You know how I go to the UK and, and I haven't been for two years, of course. I know a lot of people there. I know you've been through the toughest of tough times. I think I did say, maybe even on your web, uh, webinar a year ago, that the sun will shine on recruitment again, and indeed it is. Yeah. But we, we've got to um, be smart yes. about calibrating yes. how we get the best out of it and make it last. I agree. I love that. And I'm really pleased you brought up that because I think it's a perfect analogy because it's a beautiful sunny day here in the UK. Thank you so much, Greg. We really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you so much. All the best.